never forget why you are the church. You know, I think sometimes we don't see God work in our lives because we don't believe that He will. Let me say that again. Sometimes I believe that we don't see God work in our lives because we don't believe that He will. Let me say it again. Sometimes, I'm talking about some real stuff right here, church. Okay? You can take your deadness and leave it at the door next time, okay? All right? Amen? Amen! But sometimes, we don't believe that God can do anything because or we don't see God do something. I can't hit it a third time. We don't see God do something because we don't believe that He can nor will. I want you to understand something. God is still in the miracle working business. I want you to know something, and I'm just going to be transparent with you today. A lot of people have told me and asked me and, and so-called encouraged me. A lot of people have asked me, they said, hey, Jacob, if a bigger church comes and they uh, need a pastor, can I give you their number? Or can I give them your number? Or Jake, don't you think that you are kind of maybe you know, you can do some, some things elsewhere, maybe in, in, in a bigger scale and all these things. And Jacob, don't you think you need to take a step of faith and maybe you've been there for a long time, all this and that. As a matter of fact, I was sitting with some pastors at a pastor's meeting and I am by far the youngest in that meeting. <laughs> Usually I am, you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. It was so funny. One of the pastors made a, made a, a, uh, a comment. We were sitting there talking and we were talking about experiences. And of course, you know, I, I like to talk. So I was sharing about all these things that have happened and encouraging the other pastors to not give up. I do not enjoy giving up. Not going to do it. But anyway, and they said, Jake, you know that there's a lot more experience in this church overall, but you are the most senior pastor in the group today. In other words, I have been at this church longer than those people have been at their churches. And I thought that was funny, but, but what I, what I, am trying to get at is this. Every single time those conversations happen, you would think that I would take it as a compliment. You would think that I would be like, man, that's cool. They think that I could pastor a big church, right? I ain't got no education. I don't have, you know, I'm rough around the edges. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that doesn't happen. That's not the thought I get. The thought I get is I'm exactly where I need to be. And I'm ready, and I'm not going to quit until I see God do something. And then guess what? When that happens, I'm still not going to quit because we're going to keep on keeping on. And we're going to see that mountain move. We're going to see this whole thing about, well, nothing can happen logistically. You're in a bad place, this, that, blah, blah, stinking blah. Let me just tell you something. I've seen God do plenty enough here to motivate me to keep on keeping on here. Ooh, that gets me excited. But just know that I love y'all, and I do know that God is going to do something. But I'm going to tell you right now, we better get faithful. We better get faithful. We better get loving Jesus. We better get excited about Jesus. I ain't in my life. It's funny how we'll get excited about a new car more than we'll get excited about new life everlasting. What do we do when we get a new car? 
And like we, we get excited, don't we? We go to our friends, we say, hey, let me show you my new ride. Look, look at the leather. Look, look, look at the screen. Look at all these amenities. Ain't this cool? And we'll say, let's, ta- let's take a ride in it. And, and we'll do all these things. Or, or we'll get a new, uh, a, a new whatever it is, and we want to show everybody. But for some reason, for some reason, uh, the, the, the moment of transformation, the moment that we are saved, that excitement that we had at the beginning as an infant in Christ, somehow fades quickly. We were in a store yesterday, and uh, Ridley, she's getting tubes put in her ear. She can't hear very well because of all the stuff going on. So we're, uh, one, the doctor said once that she gets tubes in her ear, she'll be able to talk more. You know what I'm saying? Because right now, she, all she hears is, you know, I can, that's what she says. <laughs> but anyway, but we were in the store yesterday, and it was the funniest thing ever. Now, she's, she's a 15-month-old infant, and, and man, she don't, she don't know nothing what's going on. But we walked into, uh, I think it was like TJ Maxx. I don't know if you've ever been to TJ Maxx, but it's, you know, for, for me, it gives me anxiety. And for her, it was exciting. But anyway... She walked in. She was like, Woo! I'm like, what is wrong with you, child? <laughs> like, but she was just excited. So her excitement came out. Let me just tell you something. I'm not, I'm not saying that you just yell at people about G like, like, Jesus! You know, there's this dude on Instagram or Facebook that he literally just yells Jesus while doing the robot. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but that's like his ministry. Like, Jesus! All this stuff. You need to look it up. Okay, if you haven't looked it up. It's actually hilarious, and his story is pretty cool. But anyway, all I'm trying to say is, listen, when you're excited about something, it comes out. So therefore, if you're not excited about something, if you're not passionate about something, it will not come out. Okay. All right. Well, we jump back into picking up the pieces in our family. Through biblical example, we understand that family problems are not a new thing to this earth. The most intense and personal fights that you will have are with your family. It is easy to come to church and look the part so no one assumes anything just to go home to an absolute battlefield. Let me just say this for a second, because I want to encourage. I know some things should stay in the family, right? We're not, we're not at church to air out all of each other's dirty laundry. By the way, if you're here for that, you're here for the wrong reasons. If you're someone that gets excited, about someone's issue or someone's problem or someone's sin or whatever it is because you you get excited when they stumble and fall, you have a heart issue. But the impact it will have to put on a fake smile and laugh here, but at home, back to misery and anger and worldliness, that impact is undeniable. Your spouse sees it. Your children, if you have them, see it. You can fake it here, but you will not be able to fake it at home. The majority of folks in our culture see the church as fake. They just do. They simply do. And too often, unfortunately, we have proved them right. For example, if someone came in here And they wanted to see people that loved Jesus. And maybe they had no other way in life. They had no other. The the road they were going on 
had come to an abrupt stop. They have tried every outlet the world has offered, and it has not worked. And, in the, and deep down in their mind, they think, you know what? Back when I was a kid, people told me that Jesus works. Jesus is the answer. I got to go find a church. They enter Cedar Grove Baptist Church. Will they see Jesus in the way we worship? Will they see Jesus in the way that we get excited about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Or they walk in thinking, man, this is awkward. I don't know about this. Everyone's kind of sour. Everyone in their face. And maybe this is not it. Church, it does have impact. But what's not okay is to live two different lives. What is okay is to hurt. Amen. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to admit that you're not doing so good. I have learned that people, God gives people discernment in my life and sends them to me and says, are you doing okay? And before all the time I'd say, yeah, I'm doing fine. Don't worry about me. But here lately I've realized that it's just better to say, no, I'm not doing good. I need some help. Would you please pray for me? That's okay. It's okay to weep and be confused. Again, what's not okay is to act like everything is okay and live two different lives. And the church needs to do a better job at loving each other through those times. Amen? I want you to know it takes a good church to help raise godly families. You know, it takes, you ever heard the term takes a village? No? Okay, well, it takes a village. (laughs) You never heard that term? All right then. You see what I'm saying? I want y'all to stand up here and ask something that is so obvious. And everyone go, have you ever eaten food before? Hey, man, me too. Anyway, but it takes a good church to help raise godly families, but it takes godly families to raise good churches. We are looking at the life of David, king of Israel, one of the most conquering kings uh, in history, the giant slayer. The one the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. But his family was destructive and falling apart. It was a complete disaster at home. He became really good at putting on a nice, all his good face to to rule the kingdom. But those who knew him well knew that King David was struggling. And much of it, I'll just be honest with you, was self-induced. You know, a lot of times we think that the enemy's on us. When in reality, we're on us. Our cells have caused what's going on in our life. Let me explain something to you. Sin has consequences. And and, and by the way, the devil did not make those consequences. God did. In In the garden, God told Adam and Eve, don't do this. Don't do this. For if you do, that day you will die. There'll be consequences to disobeying me. The enemy did not make that up. The enemy didn't didn't, didn't start the consequence of sin. God did. There will always be consequences to our sin. So just know that when things are self-induced, don't be looking and pointing a finger. The best way is to repent and get get back right with the Lord yourself. But there's many lessons that we can learn. First, last week we saw that we must discipline our children when they sin. David's son Amnon had a lustful infatuation for David's daughter, Tamar. This desire turned to action, which brought shame upon Tamar. By the way, for those of us 
uh, who fall into the trap of believing sin will satisfy, I'm going to prove to you right here, right now, that sin will never actually satisfy. Uh, Look at 2 Samuel 13, verse 14 through 15. It says this, And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Tamar's trying to fight with him, saying, Don't do this, Amnon. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice. But being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. You say, well, well, what what happened? Well, look at verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. So that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, rise and be gone. Do you see what happened here? What sin will do in our lives, in our family's lives, in your life, it'll get you thinking that that's all you need in life. It'll have you infatuated on that desire, on that lustful uh, need. Whatever Whatever it may be. But once that sin is acted upon, just like Amnon looked upon Tamar afterwards and hated her, misery comes immediately for a believer. You say, well, I don't like that. Can I tell you something? <laughs> That's a sign that you're saved. I want you to know something. I, don't want, I, don't, I, I want to be sensitive to the littlest sins in my life. You say, well, that's no way to live. No, that's the only way to live. Tamar hated her. His lust turned to hate. That thing that he thought he wanted so much, that thing that he thought would satisfy, in the end, did not. Sin brings out the worst in each of us. So what did Tamar do? Well, let's look at verses 19 through 20. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her head and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. She was actually uh, mourning as a widow would mourn when she lost her husband. This was she she had lost something, church. Something was taken from her. Look at verse 20. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. We have a mourning and hurting Tamar. Her brother Absalom, who at this time decides he will take Revenge for his sister. But for the moment, he tells Tamar, don't say anything. Don't make this a big deal. I'll handle it. But David finds out. You know, any, any decent parent will find out when there's things going on with their children. I, I don't have teenagers yet, but I've been a teenager. And believe it or not, when, when the parents are watching and the parents are, are looking let me just tell you something. They shall find. Amen. <laughs> Very hard to hide it. So, so David found out, well, oh, dad's going to take care of this. Dad's going to come in and, and, and help his daughter and, and deal with the sin of his son. Even though that's his son, he's going to deal with his sin. Surely. What was his response? 
But when David, King David, verse 21, heard of all these things, he was very wroth. He did what many of us do. He got angry. There's no doubt he probably yelled and griped and complained. How could you do this? How could, don't you know that I'm king? Why would you bring shame upon our family? You were, you were raised better than that. But that's where it ended. His anger. Two years later, Absalom murdered his brother Amnon. We ought to discipline our children. Did you know that it, Absalom should have never had to do that? David should have done it. Now, I want us to understand, we are, we are taking a text that was under the law, Levitical, I'm talking about to the T, Levitical law. In other words, Amnon deserved death for what he did to Tamar. I mean, that, there, there's no, that, that, that is it. That's, as a matter of fact, Amnon's death was justified. But the issue was, is that Absalom should never have had to do it. Look at Proverbs 29, 17. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. I haven't experienced this yet as a parent, but I have experienced parents that have. Has anyone ever lost sleep? Because you knew your kid was out doing something they should not do. That's probably, that has to be some of the worst pain there is as a parent. Guys, it's hard to raise kids, but it's worth to raise them right. You say, well, sometimes you raise them right and they still go wayward. But we're going to see here that there's ways to handle that. There's lessons we can learn, but a lack of peace and rest in your home could be caused by the acceptance of sin in your home. Let me just tell you something, families. If sin is prevalent in your home and there is peace and there is contentment and there is everything's okay, there is an issue in your home. But we move on to the second lesson. Not only must we discipline our kids, we must forgive and seek restoration with our family. Children. The title, I didn't give you a title last week, but we have a title this week. The title is Family Problems. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I know this is a very difficult text. God, I pray that you give me liberty and power and clarity to preach it, God, as you put it on my heart. So, Lord, may I exposit this account in the Bible so we can learn the lessons that can help us today. Lord, I pray for each and every family, God. I pray, I pray for each and every person, individual. God, I pray we understand the impact that sin has, especially when we ignore that sin in our life. If there's somebody here today who is lost, today may they be saved. Through confessing with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, believing in their heart that you raise them from the dead. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, remember in that time, Amnon's actions deserved death, but Absalom should not have been the one to do it. You know, sometimes we put uh, responsibility on our children that should never be there. You know, children are children. You realize that sometimes I have to remember that, that my daughter is three and a half years old. I be like, hey, go do this, go do it. Why did you do that? What is wrong with you? you what? And she's like, I have no, I have, I love you, daddy. <laughs> she has no idea. She's a child. Listen, children are going to do childish things. The issue is, is when their parents do childish things as well. 
The issue is when their parents put forth responsibility on them that should never be on them. David, as the father, should have executed the judgment upon his son, but he didn't. So now Absalom is a murderer. So he flees. Look at verse 37 through 39. But Absalom fled and went to Telmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur, who was there, and he was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Now you might think this is very confusing. Let's talk about it. There's a lot going on in these verses. See, Absalom fled to the king of Geshur, who, if you look at the, the, the family lines, was his mother's father. So he fled to his extended family, right? He's fled to his grandfather's kingdom so that he would not have to face any judgment from his family at home, from the kingdom at home. We are told that he was there for three years. All the while, the Bible tells us that David mourned for him. Not Amnon. David didn't mourn for Amnon. Amnon reaped what he sowed. Verse 39 tells us that David had to come to terms with that, and he was actually comforted by Amnon, his son's death. Why? Because it was what should have happened. Now again, understand, I know that we're looking at a different time. But discipline should happen. We can be comforted when we, there's sometimes that when we discipline our kids, we, we doubt ourselves or we, we think, we, what, what if we did this, what if we did that? Understand that if you do it in a godly, biblical way, you can be comforted that you've done it right. But he wept for Absalom. That was the heir to the throne. His son, David, knew that his judgment on Amnon was right. If David had handled his son's, his son's sin, Absalom would not be in this mess anyway. Yet, just like his anger, just like when he heard of the news of what happened to his daughter, he got angry and did nothing. His mourning never created action. He just cried. It was just emotional. For three years, his heart longed for his kid. He wanted for nothing else but to be reunited. But for three years, Absalom stayed in Geshur. His father never coming to get him. Church, how sad is that? That's pretty sad. I mean, I mean, let's just let's just look at it from a practical standpoint. That's tragic. But how often do we put off reconciliation with those that we love in our lives? Well, you know, life gets away from you. Well, preacher, they're going to do whatever they want to do. They're grown now. Well, preacher, I've tried once and you know they you know me, I just, I'm not one of those to give, to give any kind of patience. I want you to know, just like sin has consequences, putting off forgiveness and restoration will have consequences as well. As we go into chapter 14, I will summarize for you. We won't read it, I'll just summarize it for you. But Jacob went and got a woman named Tekoa. I'm sorry, not Jacob, Joab. Went and got a, a woman named Tekoa. The Bible calls her a wise woman. He went and got her because, because she was a wise woman, people would listen to her kind of thing. By the way, this is not the first time David has had to be called out like this. 
She talks about two sons who had an argument and one killed the other and the whole family wanted justice. They wanted the murderer's son to be killed for his crime, but he was the heir for the family. What a difficult situation this is, although pretty similar to what was going on in David's family. Joab knew what he was doing. Just like the, 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 when Nathan went and told him about the little land that someone stole, that was very similar to what David did with Bathsheba. David attempted to put off giving an answer. I, he told Tekoa, just go on and I will, I will call you when I have an answer. <laughs> In other words, he don't want to give an answer because he doesn't want to cast judgment and be blamed for what was going on. But Tekoa persisted. David promised to protect her son and then she hits him with it. Look at verse 14, 13. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 13. And the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the, for the king does speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king does not fetch home again his banished. Understand this. In other words, she's saying, Well, if you will protect my son, why would you not protect your own? Aren't we good at parenting other people's kids? Isn't that a trap that we fall in so often? Well, this is how I would do it. Well, I wouldn't let my kid, you know, talk like that. Oh, if that was my kid in church, I, there's no way that my little infant would scream like that. Okay. We love the parent. Well, this is how you should handle that situation. But all the while, just like David, our home is just as... Destroy. Our home is just in shambles, just like everyone else's. You know, I, I've, I've come to learn that if we would handle our own business, then our business would get handled. Can I say that again for you? Y'all sitting there looking at me like I'm preaching or something. Okay, you don't have to. If we were just handle our own business, then our own business would get handled. But so often we neglect what needs to be handled in our lives and to distract us from all the things that we're neglecting, we point out everyone else's faults and sins. But understand this situation here. This was more than just a family issue at this point. See, David may have been longing for his son, but in his banished state, Absalom was growing more bitter against his father and king. There was no warm and fuzzy with Absalom. There was simply a three-year banishment. And this left the nation of Israel vulnerable. I want you to know something. Our neglect and putting off of forgiveness and restoration, we leave our family vulnerable to more attack. Church forgiveness is best served now, amen? But David brings Absalom back to Jerusalem. He doesn't go get him. He gets Joab to go get him. And Absalom was in the city. Now listen, I'm summarizing this for you. You can read all this yourself. But Absalom left Geshur. Joab came and got him. David understood, okay, this is not a, this is not the best thing. I need to do something about this. So Joab, go get Absalom from Geshur and bring him to Jerusalem. That's a little baby step, right? That's pretty good. Well, but scripture tells us that Absalom was in the city for two years. With no contact with his father, David. Huh. Families, parents, I want you to heed to Ephesians 6 verse 4. 
And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not up to us. Listen, it's not up to us how they respond, but time can hurt. There's two things that can happen with time if you're not using it correctly. First off, that wayward child can think that you think that their wayward lifestyle is okay. Every time they see you, everything's fine. They come home for the holidays and no no one points anything out. You're just glad to see your kid. Wouldn't you rather want to see your kid with right fellowship with the Lord? Well, we don't want to rock the, we don't don't want to, we don't want to, you know, disturb the peace in this situation. You're making your kid think it's okay to live like they live. Or it could be that You're showing them what unforgiveness really is by not going after them and not trying to reconcile with them, not trying to be restored to them. And so all the while, all they have is bitter built up. But I want to I want to encourage you as well, because I know this this is a big thing right here, but it's not up to us how they respond. You could go to your child and you say, listen, what you're doing is not right. We love you, but we cannot tolerate. We cannot accept. We cannot go with this. But then explain them the grace and the love that is found God's way. And if they don't respond, that's not on you. But you still love them. You still pray for them. And every time you get a chance, you try to lead them the way they should go. I think it's funny how people think that parenting ends when they're 18. By the way, no 18-year-old is a grown-up. You understand what I'm saying? I used to, listen, I get it. I get it. I get it. You 18-year-olds like, man, listen, I pay taxes. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to pay the little taxes y'all pay. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, but listen, think about it. I was the same way. When I, th- when I thought that, when I was 17, I was like, man, I got one more year that I'm a man. Ain't no one going to tell me a thing. I can do all these little things in life now, right? So I turned 18. I didn't really feel much different. I was still living at home. I was still eating mama and daddy's groceries. And I realized, hmm, I'm not even taller. So 18 came and went, and all of a sudden, you kind of grow up and you actually become an adult, and you realize that, Sometimes we look at things in a way that we are skewed in the fact of we got to realize that our kids need continued parenting even after because life can get ugly. Now, here, I'm not saying that you let them just come back and come back and live in your house and and then disrespect you, move out, live in your house, disrespect you, move out, live in your house. I'm not saying that you allow a sinful cycle to happen. But what I am saying is that you don't ever give up on them. Does that make any sense today? The way we treat our kids will either hinder or help the way they understand God the Father. We must always seek restoration. But number three, and we're almost done. I know y'all getting weary. But number three, we must acknowledge that our kids do wrong. Whose kids? Who has a kid in here that has just done wrong? Raise your hand. Yeah. We, we all have. If you got kids, let me just tell you something, they've done wrong. 
I love them parents that think their kids can't do no wrong. Did I say I love them? I tolerate them parents that think their kids can't do wrong. Working in the school system has shown me that we got a lot of parents that are absolutely ignorant of how life really is. They come in, oh, well, this is what they did, you know. They just punched this other kid in the face out of nowhere. Oh, well, that's not my kid. They would never, ever. I'm like, do you know your kid? Uh, your kid's kind of a punk, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what your kid would do. But they're like, not my, not mine. Let me just tell you something. Your kid has every capacity to sin. And they're going to. <laughs> But we got to admit and acknowledge that our kids do wrong, whether they're in the house or out of the house. We got to acknowledge that they do wrong. We can excuse just about anything our kids do, or at least try to excuse it. But I want you to know this can go further than just kids. How about your spouse? Will we defend the sin that our spouse is living in? How about your parents? Well, you know, they just, they've always been that way. How about your other loved ones in your family, those people that you see on a regular basis or maybe just on the holidays? We love to excuse the sin of those that we refuse to call out because it's going to become awkward. So we say, well, that's just how they are. That's just how my husband is. You know, it's just it is what it is. What can I do? That's just how that's just how my wife is. It is what it it is. What, What can I do? What you can do is you can keep on striving and don't give an inch to the enemy to get any more of your home. Looking over sin has never resulted good. (laughs) David fell into this trap. If you read through, Absalom did some unthinkable things against his father. From chapter 13 on, things just get intensified. Absalom did all he could to shame and undermine his father. It got so bad, David had to use force And Absalom Absalom led an uprising. In other words, David had to bring his army and Absalom had his army. You're talking about a father and a son literally getting to the point to where we got to end this. But look what David tells his troops. Look at, skip on to, to chapter 18. Look what David tells his troop. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and it ties saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain, captain's charge concerning Absalom. He told him, don't, don't, don't go hard on him. I know he's trying to steal the kingdom. I know he's wicked. I know he's sinful. I know he's done all these shamed, unthinkable, unnameable things against me. But, but don't actually punish him. David was willing to ignore his son's wickedness, which is what got him into this mess. So the battle keeps on going. We're going to read a little bit here, starting in verse 8. For the battle was there, scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of this oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. So in other words, he's literally hanging from his head, uh, but he's alive. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him. Why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. In other words, Joab's saying, Man, we're trying to finish this today. 
Why didn't you strike him dead? And Joab, or and the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet I would not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee, and Abishai and Hittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. You do understand that you can protect your kids in the wrong way. Again, I know we're talking about a battle here with swords and with, with, with actual death. But sometimes when we protect our kids, they grow up thinking that everything's going to be okay. Mom and daddy's always going to bail me out. Mom and daddy's always going to justify it for me. Everything, people that love me will say that it's okay. And they're going to think that their sin is just fine and they very well could die and go to hell because why do they need Jesus? Verse 13, otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against my own life, for there is no matter hip in the king, and thou thyself would have had set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after Israel. And Joab held back the people and they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him and all Israel fled everyone to his tent Absalom just like Ammon reaped what he sowed I wonder what would have happened if David the first day went and got restored to his son instead of waiting three years and then two years in Jerusalem I wonder if that I wonder if Absalom would have done the same thing that he did if he, if he understood that his daddy loved him and his daddy understood and his dad took responsibility for his laziness, for his neglect, not that what Absalom did was right in of itself, but there could have been reconciliation there. So what was David's response? Because you know he's good at responding to these kind of things. Look at chapter 19, just turn the page. And it was told Joab, behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory, listen to this. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. But the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. David refused to acknowledge his son's wickedness. Therefore, he refused to acknowledge the victory they had. What should have been a victory was made into a mourning session. Look how bad it was. Look at verse 3. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city as people being ashamed still away when they flee in battle. He had the people that helped him in victory ashamed of winning against the wicked Absalom. Verse 4, but the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Jacob, you're kind of being cold and crude. Why can't, a, why can't a father mourn over his son? A father can mourn over his son. But it was David's lack of fathering that got him to this point. Therefore, he is sitting there still leading a nation. Still having a responsibility, but instead he is mourning, acting like his son was this perfect being. And everyone's looking around like, what is going on? What is happening? Joab saw this and was disgusted. By, by the way, Joab, Joab's someone you want around you. Joab lets you know what's going on. 
or maybe not with who you want around you. It depends on how you look at it, because <laughs> he's pretty tough. But this time he went straight to the king. He didn't get, he didn't get to Koah. Nathan wasn't needed. Joab went straight to the king. Look at verse 5 through 7. And Joab came into, came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants. Watch this, uh, which this day has saved thy life and the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters and the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines. If thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends, in that thou lovest thy enemies and hatest thy friends, for thou hast declared this day that thou hast regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we died in this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. Joab saying, if you don't get up and be our king and understand that your son deserved what he got, you're going to lose the kingdom. Can I tell you something? I wonder how many families has had a wayward child and all their attention has gone to justifying and helping and, and assisting and aiding in their wayward life while the other kids are watching, thinking, this is crazy. And in trying to obtain an, an, an ungodly way, help that one child, you have lost the others. David was risking the kingdom in his selfish ignorance. How does this have anything to do with us? I know what you're thinking. How in the world does this relate to 2023? Well, church, wake up. We have created a culture of don't talk about my kid. My kid can do no wrong. Or we have with fake bonus proclaim, well, I know my kid does wrong. My, my kid all the time, but we don't ever do anything about it. We allow them to be a part of this wicked world's ways. We give them everything they could ever want. We, 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 we look over this and we look over that and, and, and we get mad and we discipline them in an infrequent, uh, inconsistent way just when we are angry. But the entire time they're getting confused at what actual discipline looks like. They're getting, well, well if I can get away with this but not with this, what, what, does, that, what does that mean? We don't want to restrain them too much. Well, you can't you can't tie a kid down too much because if you do, they'll just they'll just flee. Let me just tell you something. Most of the people that say that got kids that fleed already. So what the stinking? Where we try not to get to, we get to. When we try to get our kid not to do, they already do. And our strategy was skewed. Our strategy was aired. Our strategy was, well, we don't want to force anything upon them. But they left anyway. We force feed all these things. We force feed all these extracurriculars and this and that. We, we place idols in all of our kids' lives. We expect them to worship Jesus. We force feed college on them. And then when they go to college and they, they, start, they start doing all the things college kids do, we turn a blind eye because we're proud of them. 
We teach that sin is bad unless it's our own sin. God help us. Church, do you seek restoration with those that you love? Or do you allow bitterness to take hold in your family? Do you acknowledge and discipline sin in your children's life? Or do you think, well, I can't. I don't, I don't, I don't want to turn them away. How about your own? You acknowledge your own sin. Do you seek restoration with your Savior? Or do you just turn a blind eye thinking everything's going to be okay? Church, listen to me. Whether you have a family, whether you have a spouse, whether you have kids, doesn't matter whether you're single, whether whatever it is, whether you have grown kids, whether you have grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids, doesn't matter. Sin will always have consequences. And it is our job as the light in this perverse generation to hold the word of light in a way that may offend the darkness. It'll offend those in sin, but they see a clear picture of Jesus. Instead of looking through a hazy glass, well, this is right and this is right, but that's wrong. And so where are you at today in your life? In your personal life, in your parenting life, in your grandparenting life, in the life with your grown kids, where are you at? Have you seeked restoration? Or have you given up? Guys, listen, please don't listen. I, I'm aware. I have talked to plenty of parents that I love. I'm aware of how difficult what we're talking about is. But I'm also aware of how critical it is that we do it right. And the right way is hardly ever easy. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place.